What is our only hope in life or death? That's the first question in a catechism that we use with our family. A catechism is simply a question and answer method of teaching the great doctrines of our faith. And the very first question is, what is our only hope in life or death? And the answer is poignant, and the answer is thrilling. The answer is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. What matters most in this life and in the life to come is whether or not you belong to God. And we're going to see that fleshed out in a wonderful passage of Scripture 1 Corinthians 15. So turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to talk about those who belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. I'm going to ask you this evening, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Truth with no mixture of error. Aren't you glad it was finished at the cross? What a magnificent ministry and message in music. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at His coming, watch this, those who belong to Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are grateful for this opportunity on this Easter weekend to gather as a faith family And lift up your mighty name to celebrate in the finished work of Christ. To gaze once again at the cross where it was all finished. And to peer once again into the tomb. Being reminded that it is empty. That Christ has defeated death. Now would you draw near in these moments. Help us to understand your word by your spirit that we might be transformed in your presence. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 1 Corinthians 15 is a famous chapter in the Bible. The entire chapter is about the gospel. You might be here tonight and ask the question, what is the gospel? We hear that word all the time. What do you mean when you say gospel? Well, the word literally means good news and The good news is defined at the very beginning of the chapter. So to understand the passage we just read, we need to understand what the gospel is. Because back up with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on in verses 3 4 and 5, 
to define what he means by the gospel. Before we get into those verses, let me give you just a a quick sentence. This is in your notes if you're following along. The gospel is news about a historical event that provides hope for sinners. It's what the gospel is. It's It's news about something that happened in human history that provides hope for sinners like me. And, and we say, what happened in human history? What is the content of the gospel? We'll look there in verse 3. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. And so the first part of the good news is this, that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, left the splendor and glory of heaven, the unceasing worship and adoration of heaven, and he came to this earth taking on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus Christ walked among us. He, he lived a perfect life, a matchless life. There's nothing he did wrong. He lived a, a life of perfect righteousness, fulfilling the law. And of his own volitions, we saw in the video, Jesus Christ went to the cross. He allowed himself to be nailed to that old, rugged tree, and he hung there from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, bearing the sins of the world. The Bible says that he became sin for us. In other words, he took all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our brokenness on himself on the cross. And the Bible says that on the cross, he died for our sins. In other words, he took the punishment that you and I deserve. That's why we can celebrate saying together, singing together, it is finished at the cross. Jesus paid it all. He died in our place. He paid the penalty that we could not pay. And so he died on the cross. And that was a dark day. So he was taken down by friends and wrapped in a shroud and placed in a tomb. But that's not the end of the story. I like the way Bob Goff says it. Darkness fell. His friends scattered, hope seemed lost, but heaven started counting to three. Because here's what happened next. Look back in the text. It says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death itself. And that proves that he was who he said he was. And he could do what he said he could do, which is give eternal life. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. We might say it like this. The cross is the supreme demonstration of the love of God. He died for us. The empty tomb is the supreme demonstration of the power of God. He defeated death itself. And all of that really happened over 2,000 years ago. It happened in human history. And here's why that's so important. The implications for those who respond to the gospel are breathtaking. Because you see, it's not enough to just know that story. Probably most of you in this room have heard that before. We've got to, listen, personally respond. And if we personally respond to what Christ has done for us... The implications for our lives are amazing. They are indeed breathtaking. And that gets us back to the passage we started with, verse 20, where 
Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to understand what the implications of responding to the gospel are. It starts there in verse 20. He writes, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have, who have fallen asleep. As he begins to outline and, and describe through the remainder of the chapter what it means when you respond to the gospel. What it means when you see your need and embrace Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so I want to just spend a few moments with you looking at some different verses here to help you to understand what it means to belong to Christ. What the implications are when you have responded to the good news that Jesus died for your sins and Jesus Christ rose from the grave. So if you look there in your notes, those who belong to Christ are guaranteed a future resurrection. Those who belong to Christ are guaranteed a future resurrection. Look what it says there in verse 21. For as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also Christ shall be, in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now notice here, we see the word first fruits. It's used there uh, in verse 20. It's used in verse 23. Uh, that word first fruits is a Greek word, a parquet. And that word refers to a sample of an agricultural crop. When, when, when a farmer goes out into a field and the crop begins to come up, it's customary for the farmer to sample that crop to see uh, what the rest of the crop is going to be like. That those first fruits signify the quality and the nature of the rest of the crop. And so it says here that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. In other words, we can say it like this. Christ's resurrection gives a foretaste of what our resurrection will be like. It's saying there, if you know Christ, if you belong to Christ, then just like Christ was resurrected, you will be resurrected. So, think about it like this. Christ was raised with a real body. If you remember... He ate fish on the beach with his disciples. Remember that? They touched him. He had a a real body. But this body was different than the body he uh, was in before he died on the cross and rose from the grave. You remember they're in a room with locked doors and all of a sudden Jesus was there. Remember that? He just was there. (laughs) And so his body was a real body, but it had different properties. It was a a new body, a, a glorified body. And if listen, if Jesus Christ is the first fruits, if his resurrection says something about our resurrection, we can learn from that. Just like Jesus, we're going to get a new body. And our new body will be fundamentally different than the body that we have now. And that's what he says in 1 Corinthians. He tells us in verse 35 that we will be raised with brand new bodies. Look what it says in verse 35. Someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So what does it look like when a body is raised from its grave? Paul says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
He says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. But he says in verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. When our bodies go in the ground, they begin to decay, right? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. When, when our bodies are raised from the grave, they will no longer decay. They'll be around forever. He goes on to say, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And so, when, when, when it's time, Christ will come back. And those who are dead in Christ will be raised, and they'll have real bodies, real bodies. But they'll be fundamentally different than these bodies. They won't be corruptible, they won't be perishable, they'll be glorified, incorruptible, imperishable bodies. So we will be raised with brand new bodies, and listen, we will enjoy heaven in our new bodies. You notice what it says there in verse 44? He says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body... If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Then it says in verse 46, It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. In other words, just like Jesus has a brand new glorified body, a heavenly body, when we're raised, we'll have a heavenly body too. And we'll be in those bodies forever and ever and ever. So how's this all work? To make a timeline and how that's all going to play out. Let me just give you an example. Let's just say that I drop dead right now. All right? That would be a sad, hopefully for you, a sad Easter service. But let's just say that, 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 I, that I died right here in front of you. What would happen at that very moment that I died? Well, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. My body would still be here. My soul would immediately be in the presence of Jesus. Amen? It's good news. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then you'd have some sort of service, right? And you would bury my body. I told Claire in the cheapest thing they offer because, you know, that's just how I want it. And, and you would bury my body. And, and one day, Christ is going to come back. When he comes back, he's going to raise my body up and it'll be a brand new glorified body. And at that moment, my spirit, which has been in heaven with Jesus, will be reunited with my body. And I'll get a brand new body. And I will enjoy eternity. I will enjoy heaven in a brand new body. Isn't that cool? That's because we are are following the pattern that Jesus set by his resurrection. He's the first fruits. New body. Real body, but a new glorified body. And so, those who belong to Christ are guaranteed a future resurrection. Christ's going to come back, raise you up with a brand new body. Now, this is interesting theology and interesting discussion, but let me share with you why this matters. A little over five years ago, we buried my mom. 61. Great mom, great wife. She was, a, she was a wonderful grandmother. I mean, she just loved our, our kids and my brother's kids. And we miss her like crazy. We talk about her all the time. The story about my mom is she died from cancer. 61 years of age. But that was her second bout with cancer. Her first bout was when 
I was a little boy in the early 80s. And all I really remember about that time is I remember going back and forth to doctors and appointments and those sorts of things. I remember stress and sadness around the house. I remember vividly my mom walking around in a bandana because she lost all of her hair. Now, I remember that. And she was very, very sick, and she went through chemo treatments and radiation treatments, and her cancer went into remission. And she lived 30 more years. She got to see my brother and I graduate from high school and college. She got to see us get married. She got to see us have kids. I mean, we're so grateful for that, those, that 30-year period that the Lord gave us to be with her. But can I just tell you, the, the chemo and the radiation took a toll on her. It really did. And when the cancer came back, it came back with a vengeance. And her body was so weak and so frail. And, and she just got to a point where her body just gave out. And God took her home to heaven. And so my mom went through a lot of physical suffering with her body. The body that she had here on this earth. So do you know how awesome it's going to be when Jesus comes back and raises mom's body from the grave? And at that moment, her soul that's been in heaven with Jesus all this time will be reunited with a brand new body and she will live with no more effects from chemo or radiation. She will live with a brand new imperishable body and enjoy her family and enjoy the presence of Jesus forever. You see, this stuff matters, doesn't it? It matters. This is not just preacher talk or theology. This matters for our lives because... All of us understand the frailty of our bodies, don't we? When I turned 40 last year, all of a sudden I started having tooth sensitivity. Where'd that come from? I just started using different toothpaste. I mean, that's what our bodies do. They're not getting better. They're, They're decaying, aren't they? And that would be really sad and really depressing and really bad news if it weren't for the hope of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of resurrection. And if we belong to him, we can look forward to that day when we get brand new bodies. That's the first thing. Secondly, very quickly, those who belong to Christ are free from the fear of death. Look in verse 24. Free from the fear of death. Well, in verse 23, he says, each in his own order. Here's the order of things. Christ, the first fruits, he rose from the dead. Then it is coming, those who belong to Christ, they'll be raised from the dead, just like I explained. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Now watch verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's good news. You see, Jesus' resurrection highlights his power to abolish death. And the fact that God has exalted him, it highlights his authority to abolish death. Jesus Christ has been given a name that is above every name. He has been exalted by the Father. He's defeated death itself. So, when it's all said and done, 
and the dust settles on human history. Jesus Christ, our Lord, He will for once and all abolish death itself. When that happens, we'll no longer have to live under the threat and the fear of death. We don't have to live with the threat of death and dying always hovering over us if we belong to Jesus. Because Jesus is going to eradicate death. Listen to what Revelation 21 says about that time when we all get to heaven and God ushers in a new heavens and a new earth. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. When we finally get to heaven, as the old hymn says, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Because we no longer have to live under the threat of death and dying. I mean, you understand, that's something we all have to deal with. If the Lord tarries, the statistics hold up, one out of one die. Right? The other day I was listening to the radio, and they're talking about heart disease, which is the number one... uh, cause of death for women and men in the United States, heart disease. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, okay, let's just say that we miraculously figure out how to cure everyone's heart disease. Guess what? There'll just be a new number one. Right? If we figure out heart disease, there'll be a new number one cause of death for men and women. Because there's no way you and I are going to escape death if Jesus tarries. That's the reality of living in a a fallen world, a sin-cursed world. One out of one die. But if you know Christ, if you belong to Him, we see here, He will abolish death itself. And if you belong to Him, you don't have to live under the threat of death and dying. I know there's ISIS, and I know there's Zika virus, and I know it's dangerous out there. But if you belong to Christ, death has no hold on your life. Jesus defeated it when he rose from the grave. If you die in this life, it will be a transition into eternity. And death will no longer be a threat to you. And so, those who belong to Jesus can look forward to a future resurrection. Those who belong to Christ are free from the fear of death. And third and last, those who belong to Christ can serve God with reckless abandon. Serve God with reckless abandon. Look what it says in verse 30. He's, again, teasing out here the the implications for uh, the resurrection. He says, Why are we in danger every hour? And the implication here, if Christ has not been raised. Why are we in danger every hour? I approach us, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm serving Jesus. And serving Jesus has got me into some hot water. I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. We don't even know what that means. It could be a a metaphor for the people that he dealt with. It could mean wild beasts. We don't know exactly what he means by these wild beasts in Ephesus. 
But because of his service for Jesus, sharing the good news as a missionary, going to different cities and different places, he got in some hot water. He was shipwrecked several times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was flogged. I mean, Paul went through a lot simply for following Christ. And here's the point Paul's making. If Jesus were still in the tomb, why would I be doing all this? I mean, there's no hope. There's no future. There's no good news. I wouldn't be risking my life for a dead man. And here's his point. Christ has been risen. And so now, I can live my life with reckless abandon. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear dying. I belong to him. And because of that, I can live my life with freedom. That's the point that he's making. If Jesus is still dead, listen, then faith is meaningless. That's what he says earlier in chapter 15, starting in verse 12 and going down through verse 19. He basically makes this point. Listen, if Jesus Christ had not been risen from the dead, then all of this is a big waste of time. The, the, the sermon, the choir special, the musicians, the song, the greeting, the attendance, all of this is a big waste of time if Jesus were still in his grave. It's a big waste of time because there's no hope if Jesus is still dead, right? But if Christ has been risen from the dead, and he has, that changes everything. If Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, then everything we do for him is of great value. That's the point that he's making in verses 56 56 through 58. Look what it says. I love how he closes chapter 15. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So you and I need to learn to live in the light of the resurrection. I'm talking to you, Christian. If you're a follower of Christ... Jesus is alive. Live like it. Don't fear and cower down to a secular culture. Jesus Christ has won. Follow him. Live for him. Live for his glory. Tell others about him. He is alive. He's alive. So we can can live with reckless abandon. Paul said it like this over in Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Every day uh, the Lord gives me to live, I just get to serve him. But if I die, it gets better, I go to heaven. How can you lose, right? And so, live like Jesus Christ really has been resurrected. Live with courage and reckless abandon. Following Jesus wherever he leads. I don't know if you saw this story this past week about... An eight-year-old boy in East Palestine, Ohio, that drove his four-year-old sister to McDonald's to get a cheeseburger. Parents were asleep, and they went and got in the van. He'd been taking uh, YouTube lessons on driving. True story. And he had to take a right turn. He had to cross four intersections to get to the drive-thru at McDonald's. When when they came through the drive-thru the employees thought this was some big practical joke. Like someone's playing a trick on them. And then they gave them their food, and they drove off, and they thought, this is not a joke. <laughs> and so they called the police, and the police found them and, and uh, dealt with the issue. And, and um, the, the policeman who 
who was the first responder, was asked by somebody, why did they get in a car while their parents were sleeping and drive to McDonald's? Here was the policeman's response. The boy wanted a cheeseburger. He wanted a cheeseburger. Now listen to me. If this eight-year-old boy was willing to risk for a cheeseburger, how much more should we be willing to lay our lives down and follow wherever Jesus leaves and, and leads and live how he wants us to live for his glory? Amen? Listen, we've won! Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to live afraid. We can live with courage and boldness and vibrant faith. We can live with reckless abandon. And so, we see here that those who belong to Christ are guaranteed a future resurrection. Those who belong to Christ are free from the fear of death. Those who belong to Christ can serve God with reckless abandon. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with. And this is in your notes. Jesus is alive. Live for him fervently and expectantly. Live for him fervently, reckless abandon, and expectantly one day you will be resurrected as well and death will be finally defeated. Scholar Stephen Um says this, The resurrection narrative tells a story with a beautiful happy ending. The end of redemptive history is God wins. And those who are in union with Christ, those who belong to Christ, will win along with Him. So here's the obvious question. The implications of belonging to Jesus are breathtaking. New bodies, heaven, no fear, vibrancy, courageous living. The implications are breathtaking. But here's the obvious question that I want to close with today. Do you belong to Christ? Now notice, I didn't ask if you belong to a certain denomination because when you stand before God one day, it's not going to be a test on what denomination you were a part of. I didn't ask if you belong to Longview Point Baptist Church. You can be a church member and be lost and far from God. Being a church member will not save you. What is our only hope in life or death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. So you say, wait, how can I belong to Christ? How can I know that all of these eternal realities are mine to claim and mine to rejoice in? How can I know that I am His and He is mine? Very simply, John 1.12 says this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But as many as received him, to to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, salvation, a relationship with God, is not something you work for or earn. It is a free gift that Jesus Christ has secured for you. Jesus Christ did it all. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's done everything necessary to save you. And he offers you this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life and hope in heaven and resurrection. It's all yours if you receive that 
free gift by faith. Salvation comes when you say, I can't save myself. I'm not good enough. I'm far from God and I know it. And I want to turn from the direction I'm headed in this life. That's called repentance. I want to, I want to embrace Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's called faith. I believe that what Jesus did for me is my only hope. And because I believe that, I want to, I want to call on his name and, and, and receive that gift. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's the good news tonight. If you don't belong to Christ, you can. If you walked in this room tonight far from God, you can leave tonight belonging to Jesus. Death no longer holding any sway over your life. Your sins washed away. A relationship with God. True hope, true peace, true joy, true fulfillment. It's all yours. It's a free gift that you receive.